your water before we leave them? All good. You all good? Oh, you well hydrated now? Yep. <laughs> you fucking exhausted? <laughs> Not really. Ready to Not do really? it. Ready to do another run. Ready to do another show? <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> Cool. All right. Well, welcome to a uh, special nighttime episode of Sidekick Back Radio. We're back in the midnight hour because uh, I'm sitting here with my my friend, my colleague, my boy, my big dog, uh, Matias. Matias Ponce. Do you yeah, go by yeah. Ponce or Ponce? Have we ever definitively uh, said it? You, you probably don't even know. <laughs> uh, Ponce, Ponce, Ponce. It's Ponce, but it, some people have a hard time with the accent. <laughs> so I just make it easier for them. All right. I'm going to go with Ponce just, just to be authentic. Because that's going to be a theme of this episode is authenticity. Word. Uh, but we'll get into that later. And um, yeah, uh, I mean, we're going to talk a lot about a lot of stuff today. But obviously, um, what you got going on right now is Zoot Suit at uh yeah, yeah. ctg the mark taper forum brother yeah um it's the it's the 40th anniversary of the play since it was first presented and premiered in los angeles back in 1978 when it first came onto the stage mm-hmm. it played at the mark taper in 78 and then they moved the play to the aquarius theater in hollywood which i don't know if it's around anymore i think it's still there but i think now it's like a rock venue but it's not a theater no more yeah it's probably changed names and then they took the play to new york on broadway in 1981 and it only lasted a month it didn't really receive well because i think new york and new yorkers just didn't know how to accept a play like zoot suit since it's so based in la culture Mm -hmm. um but yeah it only ran for a month and then the play's been produced here and there since its incarnation back in 78. Um, it's been produced in Mexico and Spanish and South America, different parts of, this, of the United States, Chicago, Denver, Florida. Um, and I first saw the play in 2012 when the San Diego rep did a production of it. And that was when I was introduced to Zoot Suit. Um, and then... Technically, 39 years later, because 2018 would be the 40th anniversary, but whatever. <laughs> it's thir- 39 years later. It took 39 years for Zoot Suit to come back to the Mark Taper Man, and the CTG decided to open their season with Zoot Suit for the celebration of the 50th anniversary of Center Theater Group for mm-hmm. for itself. So, yeah, man, this is um, history in the making, and it's a revival that was long due. Yeah, and you Long get to deal. be a part of it, man. Yeah. Um, cool. Well, we'll get into it later because I'd love to kind of my wh- what I really love to do is to track how you got to where you are today, um, and we'll talk about that. So, uh, take me back to to your humble beginnings. Uh, you from Toledo, Ohio, right? Yeah, yeah. Born and raised in Toledo, Ohio, Midwest, Glass City, four one nine. Um, grew up as an only child. Went to public schools. Grew up in the inner city. Grew up in an all-Mexican neighborhood. Um, my father's from Mexico. My mother, second generation, grew up in Toledo, born in Toledo, raised in Toledo. So I guess that makes me third on my mother's side, but first or second on my dad's side? I don't know. Um, but I grew up in Toledo. Simple kid. Did a lot of, you know, did a lot of stuff growing up. Hung around with the cool kids. Grew up around gangs, the urban culture. Went to an all-black high school. And my mother got me into acting when I was probably 10 or 11. 
I'm not quite sure what year, but it was around that that range. Mm-hmm. She worked for a cable company, and she was in charge of uh, the marketing department. And this was maybe like 99, 98, right before 2000. And they had started promoting their company by commercials finally. They started getting into commercials. So they asked my mother, like, hey, would Matias like to do commercials for us? And I was a kid, man. So my mother brought it to my attention. And she asked me, and I said, yeah, why not? And I did my first commercial with them when I was maybe like, like I said, 10 or 11 around that time. And at the time, I didn't really think much of it. I just thought it was something fun to do, and I got free stuff from it. I didn't really, <laughs> I wasn't really like, oh, like acting. This is what I want to do. Like, I don't, uh-huh. I don't know. I, I don't think I really had a grasp on it. It was just a gig for you. It was just a gig. Yeah, it was just <laughs> another gig. And then, yeah, man, did my first commercial through my mother. She introduced me to it. Um, and then when I was sixteen, I did this this acting competition type of convention, which I think you probably have heard of them. The first one I did was called um, AMTC, and it stood for American Models Talent Competition. Um, And I went to Orlando, Florida, to the Marriott in Orlando to do a series of competitions. And it was a big cattle call. They had all these agents, managers, casting people that come to this they come to the Marriott for one week to pretty much conduct um, um, it's like speed speed dating but for actors yeah kind of like yeah managers. yeah just these competitions like best yeah. sitcom monologue runway okay. I did some modeling stuff too for it print stuff like that and you said you were 16 I was 16 okay did that at 16 it was the year it was 2006 of uh, July that I went and it was right before I started my senior year, right before I turned 17. And I did pretty well, got some agents interested in me, and they all said to me that if I'm willing to relocate, then we can move on. But at the time, my parents wanted me to finish high school. I wanted to finish high school. I wanted to graduate, get through my senior year, finish all that. So I went back to Ohio, did my senior year. And my senior year, I th- that's when I really started to indulge more into the drama department mm-hmm. drama club up until then had you had you done drama yeah at all with yeah, your yeah. School, like so my junior you... year i was in it too i was in this improv group called uh teen pep and teen pep what we would do is we would go around each club we would go around certain classrooms and we would talk about domestic violence verbal abuse incest bullying drugs and we would improvise these scenes based on the topic mm-hmm. and that was kind of what started getting me more into it hmm. you know i had the bug for it and i and i enjoyed it how did the other students receive those improvs were they receptive to it yeah or? no everybody liked it everybody everybody kind of knew i had a thing for it like i was kind of a class clown and it was just a lot of fun man and sometimes i would swear in some of the improvs in some of the scenes we would improv and my health teacher who was in charge of it would always remind me to relax <laughs> on, my, on my language, but I'd be so into it that I would I would throw some swear curse words in there sometimes. Mm-hmm. So that all happened. Went to Florida, came back, went back to school, finished my senior year, graduated in two thousand seven, and then I was just kind of just living life, man. After high school, I was seventeen, fresh out of school, didn't know what I really wanted to do really at the point at that time. Did community theater 
in Toledo at the at the Toledo Repertoire Theater, and the first play I did there was The Crucible. I did The Crucible <laughs> from by Arthur uh, by Arthur Miller, and then yeah, I did a series of plays there. They were produced at this local at this community theater in Toledo. Um, then I got more into theater, and I mm-hmm. learned a lot about you know uh, Strasberg, Stanislavski, all those greats, Michael Chekhov. Read more plays that I just wanted to, you know, wanted to indulge more in it, and then in two thousand nine, there is this company in Toledo called Starbound, where it was kind of like a casting modeling agency where mm-hmm. they would they would hone young talent, put them through a series of classes, acting classes, runway stuff, modeling stuff. The comp the convention that they go to, which I think you know of, is called um, um, IMTA International Modeling Talent Association which is another big acting convention they have. Besides the AMTC, there's IMTA. Mm-hmm. So I did a second one, but this time I went to New York at the Hilton in New York. They had it for a week in 2009. I went again, did the same thing again, the same series of stuff again. It was another big cattle call in a way. Um, did well had people interested and they basically told me the same thing that if I'm willing to move <laughs> to Los Angeles or New York, then we'll work with you. Um, and I had just, well, I was 19. And I think at that point, man, I was really like headstrong about pursuing acting, mm-hmm. finish New York, go back to Toledo. I turned 20 in September. This was right after, this is during August, right? This is in, in August. I went to New York and then I got back and then September came around and then I turned 20 and then my parents were just kind of like, well, what do you want to do? Do you want to go to school or do you want to pursue acting? Do you want to be an actor or do you want to go to college? And college, my parents never really forced that on me. And I kind of had a bad taste from it because a lot of my friends that I grew up with from high school, they would all go to community college. But some of them just went with the intention of just getting the grant money that you get from going. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of them dropped out before the first semester even ended. So I was like, well, what's the point, you know? Mm-hmm. And I didn't really think I needed to go to college for acting. Man, all people do to get BAs or BFAs or MFAs, and I I respect all that. And I know university training is very valuable, and what they do and what they teach you. Um, it's all theater based, if I can say that. But I just didn't want to do the college route. I didn't want to do. I didn't want to go to school, man. Mm-hmm. So then, I have a cousin. My cousin, actually, uh, her name is Jessica Lopez. She's a Steadicam operator. She's one of the f- ten women in the country that work in her in her field mm-hmm. full time. She had moved to LA in two thousand six to pursue Steadicam to, pr- to basically be a camera operator, but right. specifically Steadicam. Yeah. And her being a woman, it's kind of tough because it's such a male dominant profession, especially in the industry. So she had been here way before me. And she she moved to LA in two thousand six. She's also from Toledo, um, and she planted the seed in my head a while back about coming out there. So when I got back from New York in two thousand nine, I already it was easier for me because I had family in in California than if I were to go to New York. I didn't really know anybody. I mean, it's closer to Ohio, but I had family in California and just felt that it'd be better to go there. Mm-hmm. So September twenty seventh, two thousand nine, is the day I left. My parents, me and my me and my father and mother, we drove cross country straight from Ohio to to Cali. Got to California, 
first place I lived when I moved to Cali was Rancho Cucamonga. <laughs> so that's deep in the IE, man, way off the 10. Lived in Rancho, bro, for the first maybe six months of being in California. And you were just commuting into like LA proper? Or? I didn't have a car yet. Oh, yeah. Okay. So I, I bought a bike at Walmart with my dad. And I would commute from the Metrolink all the way through Pomona, Riverside, El Monte, um, West Covina, going through all those little towns out there off the 10 to get to Union Station. Get to Union Station. Then I would hop on the red line from Union Station all the way to Universal City to get to, to get to the Studio City, Sherman Oaks. Mm -hmm. And I found my first acting class in Sherman Oaks over by Ventura and Fulton where the Casa Vega restaurant is, mm -hmm. that corner right there. And it was $25 a class. It was the cheapest thing I could find. <laughs> it was pay-as-you-go, so there wasn't no six-week, four-week commitment type of deal. There wasn't no pay-to-audit type of thing. You just showed up, mm -hmm. and they'd give you material. So I did that, man, for a while. And then I had to get a job, obviously. And my cousin, I was living with my cousin and my aunt at that time in Rancho. And um, my cousin had moved back with her mother just to save money. Um, and then she took me to Malibu one day. She took me to, sh she took me to show me the PCH for the first time. Mm -hmm. And I got my first job working at Banana Republic in Malibu, man. <laughs> And I was still living in Rancho. <laughs> but by then, I'd gotten a car. My parents sent me their car. Okay. So I finally had wheels. I would travel from Rancho all the way to Malibu just to work at Banana Republic. Um, I would take the 10 all the way, man, to get to the 101 through downtown, past all that, all the way to the 101, past Calabasas to um, Las Virgenes Road, which takes you through... Calabasas through Malibu Canyon, uh -huh. and you pass Pepperdine when you go through it. You, I drive that you know twice it. a week you at know least. It. Yeah, so that's the route I would take to get to work all the time. Uh, and I think by me doing that, it forced me to step out of my comfort zone, and it mm -hmm. really forced me to learn, like where I was living now in California, in Southern California, and LA especially. Because I was so nervous when I got here. I was so nervous about the driving. I was nervous about how am I gonna learn to get around but I think that really got me to like learn man and I did that stuck it out and then I eventually I had two friends from Ohio move out and then I was able to move into Studio City February beginning of 2010 mm -hmm. so we moved in Studio City with my two buddies from Ohio at that time got settled was still working in Malibu at Banana Republic still taking the acting classes in Sherman Oaks and then I was like, I can't drive to Malibu no more. It's just too much. <laughs> so I transferred. I transferred from that Banana Republic to the one in Sherman Oaks at the at the Fashion Square Mall on Riverside, um, right there in the Valley. So I made everything work out for me. It was more convenient for me to get to work and all this and that. And then you know I did the whole the whole routine, man. Finding headshots, finding a better class, meeting people. But I stuck it out at that first studio for for a bit. Because they would do showcases on Thursday nights where they would invite, the teacher would invite industry professionals and people would come, people came. And at the time I was like, this is, a, I didn't really take it serious. I was like, this is like a, I don't know if this is a joke or if this is just a money thing or, or, or if she really cares. But I stuck it out, did a bunch of scenes, met a bunch of people. 
Um, and then one Thursday night, man, I, I met my manager, who I'm still with to this day, who really helped me out a lot and taught me so much about the business side of acting. Um, stuck it out there, man, with her. Met her at this random showcase at this random acting studio in Sherman Oaks. And that was it, man. Yeah. Started working more odd jobs. Yeah. As the years passed, um, I just, you know, found, met some, met people, did as much as I could to work out jobs, started auditioning a lot more and learning more about auditioning and looking at all these different acting classes and, you know, just the whole basic journey of what an actor goes through when you first move to LA, especially if you're not from here, man. Because yeah. it's different for, for some of us who are not from here and for those who are here, who are from here, who are also pursuing this. Um, I think the difference is, is that the comfortability is different. Because, you know, it's not like I have my parents in Orange, in Orange County or in Riverside or in Sherman Oaks somewhere to be like, hey, I'm going to take a break and chill with my parents. No, like, I don't have that comfort. My parents are back in Ohio, which is over a thousand miles away from home. Yeah, those those assholes and their comfort, people from here. <laughs> so it really, it, it put... It you put, know I'm from here, right? No, I know, I know. I know you are, I know, but, but, but you're not one of those people. Oh, thanks, bro. You're not, you're not. Um... <laughs> But it put fi- it would put fire under my ass, man, to really like hustle and to to really learn L.A. and pursuing acting in L.A. and what it meant to be an L.A. actor and all this and that. And 2011, I did my first professional play at the Los Angeles Theater Center in downtown on Spring Street. And my first play was a play called Short Eyes by Miguel Pinheiro, who was a Puerto Rican playwright from New York, but in the 70s. And that was my first professional play. Met a lot of people through it. Um, it really gave me more chops in my acting. You got some coverage too. I've seen like some newspaper clippings. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the, it, so. the Times came. With, yeah. the, the Times came. The Weekly came. Um, and then with that play, I got to travel with that play. I did a theater festival in Miami, and I got to perform at uh, the Adrian Arts Center which is the second biggest theater venue in the country. I think from the Lincoln Center, I'm not too mm-hmm. sure. But that really exposed me to... A big house. To, yeah, <laughs> a big house. But that really exposed me to a lot of people, a lot more about the theater in L.A., and I just kind of found my journey in theater, man, doing mm-hmm. the opposite, doing L.A. theater and learning that way. Like, I didn't... I guess I didn't have the traditional route, or I guess... Or I was doing the traditional route of of pursuing acting in Los Angeles but just the opposite of doing theater instead of focusing on TV and film mm-hmm. and uh, yeah man did all yeah. that did another play in 2012 called Faith Part 1 of a Mexican Trilogy and that was with the Latino Theater Company um, which is a renowned theater company in Los Angeles they've been around for a while um, they do very old school theater and I learned a lot from them mm-hmm. And then, and then I met UTM, which stands for um, Urban Theater Movement. Yeah, and they are former guests of the podcast. Yeah, yeah. I've actually done two shows. Yeah. With UTM. Yeah. So I met UTM, which they also helped me out a lot too in my first couple of years. Did Short Eyes with them, which they produce, and then I did a play called Handball. Yeah. By Seth V. Rosenfeld. Yeah. So. Uh, Let's pause there for a second because I do want to get into handball. But I, I want to go back to high school for a second because one of my favorite questions 
to ask is if you if you go back in time yeah to high school and you look at your walkman cd player you pop that thing open what cd is in there spinning what 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 cd is in there Oh man, it was uh Nelly's country uh Nelly's uh country grammar. <laughs> oh man. Nelly's country grammar. Nelly's wow. country grammar, okay. man. That was the album. It I'm was always that. surprised by these answers. It's yeah. Great. <laughs> yeah. Cool. Um and and so during so during your high school time, I'm I'm curious about this improv group you were in. Uh in high school and you're performing for your friends, uh, your, your c- classmates, so to speak, and um you guys are, t- you're tackling, it sounded like very heavy material, you know, talking about incest and rape and, and all that, but um, I'm, I, was it dramatic improv or was it comedy? Like, were you giving them an access point into a story regarding something very heavy? Or, because you, you said they're receptive, it's just like, it's, it's hard for me to wrap my brain about, around doing dramatic improv for high school kids and they're your friends mm-hmm. and they take it seriously, you know, those mm-hmm. things like don't add up so i'm just i'm just curious how how that kind of works um well i i took it i took a serious approach to it because we were talking about real issues that do happen to high school kids and i think with those specific issues a lot of people feel that that's something they just like to brush under the carpet right i want to talk about that no shit happens to people it needs to be seen so the way i approached it with my group was it was still all for fun. We were all having fun and to have fun and the joy of doing it and presenting this. But also, too, that there was a seriousness to it because I felt like we were portraying situations that if people have gone through or people mm-hmm. who are, are ashamed to talk about it. Yeah. So for me, it, it came from a serious place. Uh-huh. And they me. just connected right away when you do it. Yeah. It's, it's great. You must have done a good job. Well, I yeah. think it got me here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, but did you have a teacher, like somebody guiding you through that heavy material, or you guys were just no? It was all just it was just it was a collaborative thing between me and my high school friends that were in the group with me, which I still talk to one by the way, who I'm still good friends with. That's really cool. Um, And um, yeah, we would just talk about what different ways we could do it, and we would all play different. We'd switch roles. You you play the victim, I'll play the abuser. You you, I'll play the victim. You play the abuser. Just just switch it up. Gotcha. Um, and that was that was a lot of fun, man. I wish we would have took more pictures of that group. That's one one of my I have two regrets about high school: not playing football all four years, hmm. and not taking enough pictures. Huh. Those are the only two regrets I have, man, about high school. Um, well, the time machine's coming soon. So. And we'll see. We'll <laughs> see. We'll see. Um, Cool. And then, so during that time where you said you were doing these uh, conventions and you know the uh, you had the commercials uh, with your mom's network, um, I guess what were you taking the idea seriously that you could be a professional actor? Was that like a thought that was no, you, like or was it just something you enjoyed doing and you were just kind of going with the flow? Something I enjoyed doing. Yeah, something that I found that I was good at and that brought me joy. But it was something that was like, no, this is I never really took it seriously. Mm-hmm. But then up until my junior and senior year of high school, when I started doing more commercials for my mother's company, those commercials got around because Toledo is a small city and yeah. everybody knows everybody. So I would do these commercials and a lot of people would see them. A lot of people I grew up with, different groups of people I used to hang out with. Um and everybody reacted to them. Everybody showed me love about it. Nobody nobody hated on me. But I was always embarrassed. 
I was embarrassed about it because where I grew up in the high school I went to, like, it's just something you didn't do. It's just something you didn't do, man. Um, so a lot of the people that I was friends with that I grew up with, you know, I would be embarrassed to talk about it because I didn't know how they would respond, mm -hmm. you know? Um, but eventually I got over it. But I remember, I do remember a few times people be like, hey, man, didn't I see you in that commercial? And I would <laughs> deny it. No, that wasn't me. It's my ass on that commercial. <laughs> But I would totally deny it because I was embarrassed about it, man. Your was, ass. I, what I, kind of commercials were these? Uh, <laughs> I was just embarrassed, man, to tell people that I wanted to be an actor uh -huh. at that time. Growing up in Toledo and going to an all-black high school and growing up in the inner city and all that stuff. Like, it was just something you didn't do. When did you get the confidence to say you're an actor? When did you start? When did it become a, you're proud to be an actor? Or are you still battling that? No, not anymore. <laughs> Uh, I would say maybe right before my senior year ended, uh -huh. I started to accept it and people like loved, like people appreciated me for mm -hmm. that, you know, that yeah. I was doing something different. Yeah. You know, the opposite of what everybody else was doing. Cool. Um, so, um, I wanted to pause, uh, before we get into handball, cause it's kind of my first, uh, talking point, if you will, or, or area I really want to dig into because, um, to this day, if anybody asks me what my favorite uh, not necessarily play, but theatrical experience I've seen, it, it would be handball. It would be going to, uh, I don't remember that, the name of that stage on Western. Um, the studio studio stage. stage. It's random ass. Like it's not even a part of theater row or anything. It's not it's even just... a theater, man. It's a, it, I call it a, I call it a fucking photo gallery. <laughs> so, excuse me. It's a photo gallery. I remember going there for something and having to wait for the AA meeting to get out beforehand. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and places um, used for a lot. Yeah. But now going into this, this space and handball was like by far the most authentic experience I've ever seen. You know, you, you guys took me to, I, I uptown Manhattan, like Harlem. I, um, I guess it was. It took play. I think specifically, it took place in Lower East Side. Okay. Well, it, it took took me to straight to New York, straight to this park in New York that was being gentrified, and like everybody really held their held their own. You know, the characters were so specific. I mean, just the combination of the writing, the acting, and the directing was so supreme. And it was just, it was just authenticity, like incarnate, like it's the definition of, I think what people crave when they watch or see something. Yeah. And so, uh, I commend you guys for your fantastic work. Definitely was like a very impactful performance. How did you guys do that? <laughs> I mean, what was, uh, I know that's a silly question for that. I guess really, what was the process like for that in terms of like, were you guys even aware were you even gunning for authenticity? Did it happen uh, kind of just, you know, as a byproduct of the work you guys were doing? Is it all in the writing, you know, by Seth? Um, mm, so with handball, I know I'm kind of taking it back a little bit to the past. Handball, but. let's see, I was 24. <laughs> handball was 2000, I want to say 2000. It must have been 2013. 2013, 2014. Because I just came back to yeah. L.A., yeah. So with handball, when we first started doing handball, man, um, I would I did a couple readings of it before they before UTM decided to produce it with Seth. I did a couple readings of it, and I was like, yeah, this is a play I would I could I would love to do. I could I could totally play one role in that in that play that I really that spoke to me. 
But I think for Seth that the play itself wasn't really ever finished because it went through a lot of changes. And I don't think Seth ever... F it's a play that he didn't publish. He only has two published plays at Samuel French that I'm aware of. But Handball was a, a piece of his that he never just... He never published it because I, would, I think he felt that he just... He never... He just kind of let it be the way it is. And it changed a lot when we did it, the first time we did it. And even the reading, when we first did the readings, it was a different draft. When we got the draft to do to finally do it, it was just a completely different piece, man. And I think what made that piece work was the actress who, who, who everybody who got cast collectively to play those roles, you know. And UTM was such a tight, is such a tight group of actors and company that that was half the work right there itself. Mm -hmm. And then working with our director, who was Brenda, Brenda Banda, who's one of the founding members of UTM. Um, it was her first time directing a full play, so it was new for her. And working with her was great from a, for her being a director, because she's an actress getting into directing at that time. And for, for her doing that for her first play and working at Studio Stage, and also keep in mind, Studio Stage, we're very limited with that place because of how big, how small it is, budget wise, and you know how we were, how how we had to think about how are we gonna tell, how are we gonna do this play, tell the story, and get the message out in this space, right? With the set that we have, the space we have. Okay, how are we gonna do that? Well, it all just came to us, man. Okay, let's build the hand wall. Let's build the handball wall. Okay, we'll put the handball wall. That was the first thing we thought of is where we we're going to put the handball wall. Mm. And then the park. And then how each section represents a part of a part of the character's lives. Like like in the play, there's the characters of Javi, Ra-Ra, and uh, little Lucy. And blocking-wise, our world was in the hand, by the handball wall. Yeah, that was our world in the park. And then you had G, Panama, um, I for, God, I'm forgetting the names of the characters. G, Panama, it'll come to me. <laughs> and the center of the park where you have the old timers playing the chess, playing playing checkers, playing yeah. dice, playing cards, you know. And then this other part of the stage, you had the yuppies, the people who were bringing in the gentrification. Um... So I think collectively, man, it worked with the spacing of how we set the stage and mm -hmm. how we designed the set and where we placed everybody in their own little worlds. Like here are the kids, here are the, here are the old, here are the old G's, and then here are the yuppies who are bringing in the gentrification. Um, and it worked. I mean, I think it worked. I guess it worked because <laughs> we were we were able to take the play to New York, man. Yeah, you were. Yeah, we took it to Summer Stage Festival in two thousand fourteen of August and I got to perform in Harlem at Marcus Garvey Park and then I got to perform in Central Park man which was pretty pretty awesome to yeah. be able to do a play there in Central Park well not only that but the play is set there so it's yeah like, and it was it was like it's a, in its natural it was, habitat. it was a homage to New York you know it was a Seth's homage to to New York in a way yeah. and the New York Times came and reviewed it um it was a okay review. I mean, like I said, handball wasn't really a finished product. It was just, I call it like, I call it um, 
like clay still being molded, like a sculpture still being put together, mm-hmm. you know. It's there, it's foundations there, but it's still being shaped and changed and you know, stuff's changing about it. So scary to think that it could get better you know what yeah. i mean like oh man yeah <laughs> you know because um, the, the the version that i saw i thought was was fantastic yeah so. and then when we took it to new york it was still the same play some stuff changed some cast stuff changed mm-hmm. um but we had a bigger set we had a bigger stage to play it on so that changed a lot too and yeah the the, the stage the stages that we got in new york were a little bit better than what we did with the studio stage mm-hmm when we got to New York. Um, but that itself, dude, that was a, that was a, a whole experience itself, man. It was my first time working in New York, doing a play in New York. We got to be there for three and a half weeks. So, yeah, man, that's, that was great. <laughs> handball, awesome. handball. Yeah. I was Handball really blessed me, man. It changed my life in a few ways. Yeah. Cool. And, um, and so then you stuck around with UTM for a bit longer. You did, I know, some a one-act... Yeah, I, I stuck around with DTM after handball, and they started doing their one-act festivals to start bringing in money to support the company, mm-hmm. you know. And I did I did their second one-act festival, which is called Urban Legends. And I did a one-act called Dominica, the Fat Ugly Ho by Stephen Ellie <laughs> Gerges. And Stephen Ellie Gerges is a known playwright in New York. He's written great plays. He wrote the play The Motherfucker with the Hat, which was which has won a Tony for Best Original Play and it was on Broadway. Um and it did pretty well. So Stephen and Stephen knows Seth, so that's from that same group of people, you know? Mm-hmm. So they definitely had that New York vibe about them. And I did that piece. That was a pretty fun one act to do. Yeah. And it's the only piece that Stephen Gerges has that he never published either. Um, UTMs love the unpublished. Yeah. Yeah, man. <laughs> so, yeah, I did that with UTM. UTM really helped me out the first couple of years, being a theater family for me and giving me the opportunities to do great plays with them. I did Short Eyes, Handball, and then Dominica. Yeah. Um, yeah, man. Yeah, somewhere in there you did a, a web series, pretty pretty great, called Total Truth. Oh man, <laughs> which is which is where uh, we met for, which, for yeah, those keeping is, track of. Which is of, how I met Andrew from. Yeah. <laughs> did this yeah, web no, series? It was no, it was, but it was really odd to like. I just saw Handball, and then not like maybe a month later, I go into this reading in downtown LA for a web series, and uh, there you are, yeah, sitting there at the head of the table, my Norman. And the web series, the web series Total Truth that we did, I thought the idea and concept was pretty unique. And I thought it was a story that maybe hadn't been told yet because it is a situation that does happen to people about being undocumented citizens growing up in this country. And then 20, 25 years of you putting in the work and you have a career for yourself. And all of a sudden the government tells you you're not a citizen or you're going to get deported. It's like, or your mom tells you, or your mom tells you that, you know? (laughs) Yeah. So I thought that was, I felt that that idea of telling that story was, was, was really cool and unique. Yeah. Maybe possibly a little ahead of its time. As far as that, man, I think the timing of it and, but I got to meet, I got to meet some great people. I got to meet you out of it, man. I got to meet some other great people. out of it. No, we had, we had a good time and I learned a lot and I, I mean, we've talked about this. Like, I know that um, Spike, my character in it, was definitely a stepping stone to uh, Billy, 
who I play in Highway to Havasu. Yeah. So, you know, it was definitely a, you know, stuff was definitely learned in that experience for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> then is it, uh, proper to say that there's this, you kind of enter this weird, uh, I don't want to call it a dark time, but you, I know that you kind of went off the radar a little bit. You, you, or you go back to Ohio. I know you went to Mexico. Let's see. Total truth was one bro. 2014, no 15. I think it was 2015 when we first did that. It must've been between handball. I, I was still 24. Handball one and New York handball. Cause we it was after New York handball. It was after New York right handball. after New York handball. No way. Cause we were buds when you went to New York. Oh, it was before that. Yeah. Yeah. So it was, it was before. before the summer of 2014. This before. Yeah. Um, went to New York, did handball, came back, did Dominica of winter of 2014. And at that point, I told myself I wasn't going to do any more theater. Just right, right. Was, we was, ran into each yeah. other at a film festival because Highway to Havasu was at the same festival mm -hmm. that your short film was in. Yeah. And I remember and you I remember saying... You that I was done with theater. Yeah, you said you were done with theater. I was burnt from it, man. <laughs> Just burnt from it. So I think that time from between 2015 up until end of 2016, I was working odd jobs again, doing stuff I didn't want to do, but I had to survive. I was auditioning. A lot of stuff for TV. Mm -hmm. I did stuff for Nickelodeon. Um, did, did a couple independent films. A couple more short films. Um, what else? Yeah, worked with Nickelodeon a few times. Worked on Criminal Minds, Mindy Project, Lopez on TV Land. So I think that time I really just focused my energy on TV and just mm -hmm. tried to build my reel and, and the co-star credibility to get co-stars on my resume so I could get better auditions or I could get into better rooms because now that I had the experience, I'd be like, okay, I'm not so I'm not so green anymore, you know? Like I can get I can get better auditions, mm -hmm. and. Um, but I did another play. Actually, I lied. I did one more play after Dominica. I didn't really do the play, but I was a part of it. I did, um, I was a part of Danny in the Deep Blue Sea by John Patrick Shanley. Yeah, I know that play. And we did it at the Los Angeles Theater Center at the LETC on Spring Street where I did Short Eyes. And I did it with a great group of friends of mine who are closest to me that I worked with. Um, and I was the understudy for Danny. But I knew I was never going to go up of that because I was, I just felt too young to play that role. And I was doing, I was doing a separate part from that, from that mm -hmm. play. But the whole experience that me and my friends created for that play was we created this prologue before the play starts. So the people would come to the LATC, line up outside, and I would play this, this guide named Fred. Because in that play, in Danny in the Deep Blue Sea, there's one other person mentioned in the first in the first act in the first couple of scenes where Danny and Roberta are in the bar and they're bickering back and forth, and there's a part where Danny says, "Is that guy staring at me?" And Roberta replies to, "Who? Fred? No, he's probably no, he's sleeping." <laughs> so we took the idea of taking that guy, Fred, who we never see, never see him. He just mentioned because it's a two person play, and we took the idea of taking this guy, Fred, who we don't know who he is. And we decided, hey, let's make this a character. Yeah, a little Rosencrantz and Guildenstern yeah, yeah. kind of treatment. Let's make this a character <laughs> and let's make him a guide for the prologue. For we take people, like we're taking people to this underground bar, right, yeah. you know? 
and they get to witness what happens. They get to witness the story between Danny and Roberta. Mm-hmm. And the way we the way we set up the stage, we did it in the gallery of that space. So we basically had it as a bar, but everything happened in center, and we placed seats and people all around the gallery. So they were it was an intimate experience. Like yeah. They were in it with us. Mm-hmm. So some of the actors would sit down next to an, an audience member, and the play they'd be right there while the play is going on. It was really cool, man. It was really unique, and um, I had a great time doing that, and. That was great. And yeah. then I met a very fine woman doing that who I started dating <laughs> from doing that show who I met through mutual friends because we kind of had the same friends in the same circle. And yeah, man, after that, I just kind of started just doing the dating thing, man. I was with this <laughs> was with this woman for a good amount of time. Okay. Spent a lot of time with her and was learning. I was learning that part of my life now. And I was 25 going on 26. Um, and I, yeah, I wasn't I wasn't doing any more theater. I was still auditioning for stuff. But I think at that point in my life, man, I was just so caught up in just being with, sharing time with somebody and trying to trying to trying to really experience a relationship mm-hmm. with someone for the first time in L.A., that I don't want to say I got distracted. It wasn't a distraction, but I, I kind of just enjoyed it for yeah. that time, man, where I was. Um, I guess, uh, why don't you, what What are the events that lead up to Zoot Suit? Because um, I know that you you said you weren't doing, um, you weren't doing theater anymore. You were no. kind of focusing on TV. And then how does, where does Zoot where are you at when Zoot Suit kind of comes up on your radar? So Zoot Suit, I heard about Zoot Suit being... I I first heard that they were gonna bring back bring back I first heard they were gonna bring back Zoot Suit in July of last summer, twenty sixteen, because the LA Times posted an article about it, about Zoot Suit coming back. And at that time I was like, Oh, there's no way I'm gonna be able to audition for this. There's just no way, like, nah, there's no way. You know, whatever. <laughs> just completely doubted myself about it. And I was still dating this the fine woman that I was very fond of. I was still dating her. And um, I had been spending a lot of time with her at that point. Like, I like my world was just work, working on jobs, and her. Mm-hmm. Not really auditioning much. Not really just living my life. I wasn't really worried about acting at the point. I was just so... I was giving all my time and energy to her. The news of Zutsu came around in July. I read the article. August came... And then September came and I turned 27 this past September and I was still with my lady. I was like, okay, I got to figure out how to audition for Zoot Suit. Like, I have to audition for this play. I have to audition for it. If there's anything in the world I need to audition for, it's this play. So I hit up my manager and said, hey, um, they're doing Zoot Suit at the Mark Taper. Um, and, I, and I knew the casting directors, which helped. I knew the casting directors. And I know one of the ex- one of the artistic producers, directors of CTG. So mm-hmm. I kind of had advantages that I felt could work and on, on on my side. So my manager pitched me. The casting directors knew me because we have mutual friends, and I've I've auditioned for them before. Um, and then the lady, the lady that I know who works at CTG, who's one of the associate producers for the for the theater, 
um, also knows me, and she 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 was very fond of me because I, I I worked with her on a stage reading of one of her plays at one point. Um. So I had I had momentum to get myself in there, mm-hmm. an advantage to get in just to read, and my first audition was September sixteenth. That was my first audition for Zoot Suit, and at the time I didn't really know which character I wanted to audition for. I didn't really see myself as the lead role in that play hmm. because I just I felt like I was too tall, and I wasn't very like Indio looking like like vestizo like what i mean by that is like in mexico different parts of mexico there's there's certain it depends on the region you're in, but there are mexicans that look more more indian more mm-hmm. indigenous but in zoot suit the the role of henry reyna i always just imagined him as being this stocky not short but stocky indio mexican looking kid you know and I didn't really see myself that. So I auditioned for other roles in the play that I had my eyes on, that I knew about from reading the play and from seeing it done in 2012 that I remembered. And I said, okay, this is... Because at that point, I was like, they're going to offer this role to a name. Mm-hmm. Like, this is a role that's going to get offered. They're like, they're gonna, they're probably not going to audition people, so whatever. <laughs> so did my first audition on September 16th. And then... September September came around. The end of September came around. And um went through my first breakup, which was her choice. So I dealt with that for the first time in my life, experiencing a first a, a real first breakup. Um and got through it. And then October came, went through some other stuff that I was going through at the time. Um and then I went to the second callbacks in October, and the second callbacks were more of a dance audition because this play required a lot of people to dance. Mm-hmm. And I think they would at the point at that time they were unsure. They were like, "Okay, do we hire dancers and teach them how to act, or do we hire actors and teach them how to dance?" Mm. So they did a bit of both. They hired actors and taught them how to dance, and they hired dancers and taught them how to act. So I went to the second callbacks, got a callback for the role that I had initially, initially wanted that I knew that I knew I could get that I wanted to play in the whole play. Which which one? It was the role of Smiley. Oh, okay. that was a role. That was a role I wanted at first. That was a role I read for. That was a role I got called back for. That was a role like this is my role. This yeah. is the role I'll do. <laughs> so did the callbacks. Did this intense dance audition. Came back a second day for a second round of callbacks for the dancing. And this was all done at the Music Center off Temple, right across the street from the Amundsen and Mark Tabor. And went through two days of really intense auditions, man. And then towards the end of October, man, I went to a third final one, finally, to audition for Henry Reyna. They had wanted me to audition for Henry Reyna, and I did. And I did my job, but I felt like I'm not right for it. That's just how I felt. Wow, you were so actively trying to yeah, not be the lead. Yeah, yeah, man. And then um, <laughs> end of October came. I was still dealing with the breakup with my old lady. And then I decided to... I was I was working two jobs. I was barbacking in Glendale. And I was bussing tables at a restaurant in Silver Lake. And I was just thinking to myself, like, I'm 27 years old. Like, why am I still doing this stuff? 
And I'm not knocking anybody who goes through that struggle or anything because it's we all have to work, we all have to eat and survive in any way we can. But I felt that like this is stuff I sh- this is stuff I should have been doing when I was like 22, 23, 24, yeah. not at 27. By, yeah, just after now, a few years, you, it's no, like it's like by now it's I should, too much of yeah. the same, you know. Yeah. You get- it's too much of the same record playing, man. Yeah. And, I, and I felt like I was just, defe- I felt like I was defeating myself. I was like, what am I doing with my life? And like, the breakup had a lot to do with it too. Um, But towards the end of October, man, I just decided one day I quit both my jobs. Uh, I moved out of my place in Glendale that I was living. My father was in Mexico at the time. He was back in Mexico because he had retired in August and he wanted to go back just to be back with his family and take care of some stuff he had to do in Mexico. So I called my father and said, hey, I want to come visit you for a month in Mexico. I want to get out of L.A. I need a break. There's a lot going on. I just need to take a break from L.A. So he said, all right, I'll pay for your ticket. You let me know when you want to come. So I quit both my jobs. I moved out of my place put all my stuff in storage in Los Feliz. Didn't have any plans, didn't have any idea what I was going to do when I got back. I just said, fuck it. I just took the risk. And and, and this was after the callback? Like, this was after the final callback to suit suit. And, and I, at that point, I was like, all right, I did I did everything I could. I'm done. Yeah. I'm, I'm out. I'm rolling out. It's all, it's all, it's out of my control at that point. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't necessarily like you were like, you, you weren't thinking... I didn't get it. No, you, you no, just I wasn't were thinking like, that. I was just hands. like, it's okay. out of my hands. Like, it's time. I need to take a break from LA because of what I was dealing with. So, mm-hmm. quit my jobs, put my stuff in storage. Had no idea what I was gonna do. Had no plans. Nothing, bro. Nothing lined up. Nothing. Told my manager I was rolling out. She supported me. Went to Mexico for the month of November. Really had a great trip with my father, and then the last week before Thanksgiving. Um. Where I was staying in Mexico, it's in, it's in central Mexico. It's deep in Mexico. It's two hours out of Mexico City. But where my dad's from, where he grew up, it's kind of like the Rancho, the mountains. It's a very isolated town. It's a missionary town. What I mean by that is that there's an old missionary church that was built in the 1400s during that time. Then it still stands. So it was a pretty old town. And... It's one of those towns that has one church for the community, one pharmacy, one place for internet, one cafe, um, stone roads, no pavement. There's only one way to get in and out of the in and out of that town. No Wi-Fi unless you go to that cafe, <laughs> but it's very isolated town, man. Like very cut off from the world. And um, I was there for the most of my time, and my grandmother, luckily enough, my father's mother. She has a landline at her house just for emergency. So this was a Monday night and I was going to, my plan was to stay all up all through November and then come back to LA in December and figure it out when I got back. My mother got a hold of me through my grandmother's landline and I was like, my father said, Hey, your mom, your mother's calling you. So I'm like, all right. So, and I took Zutsu with me. I took the play with me just to read because I knew I had a feeling that I was going to be a part of it. I just didn't know in which capacity. But I knew I was going to be a part of it. Like, I had a good feeling. Like, I'm going to get cast in it. I just don't know in what way. So I took the play with me when I went to Mexico. Read it, read it, read it. Studied it. Broke it down. And um, 
my mother gets a hold of me and says, hey, you have to come back to L.A. I'm like, for what? She's like, for Zoot Suit. They want to see you again one more time. <laughs> and I'm like, well, who called you and told you this? Your manager got a hold of me and she doesn't know how to get a hold of you. So I told her I would get a hold of you. Mm-hmm. So my mother got a hold of me. This was the week before Thanksgiving. So this was on a Monday. I had to change my flight last minute. They wanted to see me on Thursday for the final callback. Before they started, before, final, final callback. Before they started casting it. So I said, all right, well, I hope it's worth it because I'm cutting my trip short and I'm going back to LA and I got no place to live. I got no job. I got nothing lined up. Like, well, all right, let's do it. So got back to LA that week. Got back on a Wednesday. And then Thursday was the day of the final callback. Went went back to the music center. Read Smiley again, the role that I had wanted, that I knew I was going to get. And then they asked me to read Henry Reyna again. And I said, okay. They gave me two different scenes to read this time. Did the scenes. Did my thing. And then that was it. And then I left. And then I was like, all right, well. I got through, I got through, Cut your Mexico trip short for that. I got through <laughs> the scenes. dance auditions. They know I can dance because I learned the choreography as fast as I could, what they taught us in mm-hmm. the audition. Came back, did this final callback, cut my trip short for being in Mexico. I hope it was worth it. And then I just got back, man. And then I was just trying to figure out what I was going to do. I was like preparing about, okay, what's next? If I don't get this, like what's next? Mm-hmm. And then that weekend, my manager calls me and she's like, has anybody called you from Zoot Suit or CTG? And I said, no, I haven't heard anything. And she was like, well, I have your mother on the line. I was like, what? She's like, I have your mother on the phone with us. Okay. And she was like, you got it. You got it. You got cast in Zoot Suit. You got, you got the job. You, you got the part you wanted. They want you to, they want to cast you a smiley and they want you to understudy Henry Reyna. And I was like, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm down. All for it, man. Let's do it. Greatest news I could have ever heard coming back from Mexico. And I was like, you know what? It was worth it. I got to, I got to do both. It was all worth it. Like, it's crazy, man. When you think about what you have to go through in order for something great to happen. Like, you got to go through the mud and truck just to get to the grass and the blue hills and, and the, the, the blue skies and the green hills, right? Mm-hmm. And I just kept thinking of, like, everything that had happened, it all happened the way it was supposed to happen. Because now look what's happening. Got Zoot Suit. Before I got, I went through a breakup, was unsure of myself, was 27, was going through that whole 27 mentality of like, what am I doing with my life? Like, what, 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 am, I, what am I doing? Like the whole pressure of the 27 crisis, I guess. Not the quarter of crisis, but the 27 crisis. Three years before you turn 30, like the, the your late 20s, man. The beginning of your late 20s. Yeah. And, and then Zoot Suit happened, man. It got cast. Got through the month of December, stayed in LA, didn't want to go back to, I didn't want to go back to Ohio, I didn't want to go back to Toledo, I wanted to stay in LA and start working on the play and um, found a place to crash for the month with a, home, with a friend of mine in Burbank and um, was paying my storage, focusing on Zoot Suit and... So you got cast as Smiley, understudy Henry, but then... My contract started January 3rd, right after the new year passed. It was just an awesome first couple of weeks, man. Everybody was there. Just it was just such a big deal, you know, like to be big to zoot suit back, you know, like it was like I knew this was gonna be a big thing for LA. Like I knew this was gonna get a lot of attention. I just didn't know how and what way, you know. And we started rehearsals January third. 
our preview started the 31st of January, so we were only given like almost three weeks of just rehearsal yeah. man, for this monster of a play. And you've seen it, you know? Yeah. So it was a very short time for 25 actors that they hired for this whole production. So the first couple weeks, the first week of rehearsals, we were doing table work, reading the play, and then we started learning the dancing, the choreography, and the dance numbers in, in the play itself. Because in the play itself, there's... There's Zoot Suit Boogie, Saturday Night Dance, and the Zoot Suit Riots, which are the three, which are all in the first act. But those three scenes are the ones that have consistently most of the dancing we mm -hmm. learned. And we learned all those, all the stuff we were going to do with it. We learned, we, we learned them all. And then two weeks into rehearsals, man, the day of the Women's March, the actor that they hired to play Henry Reyna who has some credibility to his name. He's more of a TV film guy, um, but they had casted him, you know, mm -hmm. and then they announced that they casted um, um, Demian Bachir, you know, who's a famous Mexican actor and who's done some pretty awesome films in his career. So he, so Damien was attached after you guys started rehearsals? No, he he, he had already been attached before oh, okay. we even started rehearsals that he was going to play the role of El Pachuco. Okay. So that was the name, basically, that they attached to the play. For, yeah. For, the, for political reasons yeah. and for, you know, for the Mark Taper and all that. Yeah, yeah. To attract an audience. So we start rehearsals. Two weeks into it, man. A homeboy that they hired to play Henry Reyna um, didn't show up on a Saturday. And this was the day of the Women's March, the 21st of January, I remember. Mm -hmm. uh, he called in sick, and my stage manager was like, hey, um... I know you're understudying Henry Reyna. We have a designer's run. Do you feel like you can do it? And, I, and up until that point, up until that day, I had been trying to sit in on any, I had been trying to sit on any much of rehearsals that he was doing with Luis Valdez and everybody else that they were working with to soak in all that in. Because mm -hmm. I was understudying for the first time in my life. I had been, I had been given an understudy job and I had never had the experience of being an understudy. Yeah. And it's not easy. So I would take I would take advantage of every moment, every time I could when he was rehearsing the scene specifically for him. And I would sit there, write notes, soak it in, see what he was doing. And then that day came, the 21st of January, and he called in sick. He wasn't there. And my stage manager was like, well, do you want to do it? I said, yeah, I'll do it. I'm not off book completely, but I can do it. All right, don't worry about that. So... It was the it was the first time it was the first time I was doing the run of the play as that role. Keep in mind, this was all different dancing, different blocking, all that, mm -hmm. and I had been trying to soak in all that as much as I could, because I had been so focused on my role of Smiley that I was just putting my time and effort into learning that, and I was getting that down. But then when the switch happened, that my brain had to reconfigure itself because I was doing completely different lines, different character, different intentions, different choices, different dancing, different blocking, all that was different. So I did a designer, I did that run, that Saturday man, got through the first act. <laughs> Everybody was supportive. Everybody was cheering me on. It was great. It was a great feeling. It was, it was, a, it was, a, it was awesome day. Took our 10 minute break, got into the second act, got through it. And I don't know, man. I think people just saw something different. Like I felt that I brought something completely different that 
nothing against the other actor, but something that he wasn't clicking with, mm-hmm. you know, that I that I was bringing to it. And I think Luis Valdez and everybody else in the cast saw something that just wasn't being shown yet. So I did it. felt great. It was an awesome, awesome day. And then I went to an event with my manager. And during the event, Luis Valdez, the man who wrote Suit Suit, the man himself, calls me. And I was like, well, what's going on? So he calls me and he, you know, wanted to congratulate me for what I did today on that day. And that he knew it was my first time being on my feet with that role. And um, he's like, yeah, man, I just wanted to call you and tell you you did a great job today. And um, want to let you know that the, the role is yours. And okay. I was like, okay, like, are you sure? <laughs> yeah. I'm like, what's going on with other, what's going on with the homeboy, the other actor? And uh, he said, there's some stuff that's been going on and um, I'll talk to you tomorrow about it when you come to rehearsal. But come early, right? I'm like, all right. So he was like, congrats. The role's yours. You're going to play Hemi Reina. Um, so be ready to work. I was like, all right. <laughs> I was like, my, everything just changed. Yeah. Everything just changed, bro. And then that Sunday came. I got to rehearsal early. It was me, Damian, um, the actress who plays Alice, and the actress who plays Della, because those are the three main actors that I spend most of my time with in that play, that I have most of my interactions with in that play. And he sat us down, and he basically told us that the actor that they hired, Homeboy, had decided to step down. He decided to step out of the project. Um, He didn't get too much into detail about why, but I kind of had my own thoughts on why mm-hmm. he made the choice he made because he had never done theater. Mm. Um, he probably felt overwhelmed with everything that we were learning for this play in the short amount of time we had to learn it in. Mm-hmm. And yeah, and I think other reasons too, man, that maybe he didn't really understand how big Zoot Suit is and what it means to LA mm-hmm. and how big this piece of theater is culturally for the for the world you know whatever um and he felt that he had to make the choice that was right for him man and i spoke to him on monday the day after that weekend he called well i reached out to him and wanted to chat with him you know because he was a he's a nice guy solid actor very very giving guy and you know he was he was a good dude and i felt he cut himself short Mm -hmm. you know I, i felt bad that he cut himself the opportunity because he was getting it. He was getting there during rehearsals. I would watch him. He was getting it, man. But there was this, he was just, I think he was just being really hard on himself and he was doubting himself and Mm. that wasn't fair to him, but that was his choice. And I spoke to him and said, Hey man, like what was going on? Like, is there, was there anything I could have done to help you? Like what was going on, man? What was going through your head? And he just said that he couldn't connect to the way Luis was directing us. Um, he didn't feel confident at rehearsals, mm-hmm. I guess he he was saying, and um, he just said that he felt he he had, he had to acknowledge where he was in the process of the the work and where he was in his life and mm-hmm. what was best for him, man. And he made his choice. I don't judge him for it. I don't blame him for it. You know, he made his choice, man. I respect him and. You kind of have to respect somebody if they're able to acknowledge how they feel about and where they're at, yeah. you know? Yeah. So that happened, and I basically got my shot, bro. Yeah. Got my chance. And it's crazy because 
it was like I guess it was all just meant to happen that way. And, you know, yeah, if you, totally. if you want to look at things that way, you know, yeah. however the universe works, but I got my shot, man, and I didn't let anything in the way of it, yeah. and I gave it my all, and now I'm still, I'm still tripping about how everything, <laughs> I'm still tripping about how everything played out up until, up until this moment now. Yeah, and you know? I'm sure you'll be tripping about it for a long time to come. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. What would you say is the, uh, the most unexpected difference between working at like CTG, like it's it's like you know the Broadway of LA. Yeah, like it doesn't get much bigger than cram LA. Cram of theater of LA theater. Man. Yeah. Uh, so what would you say is the biggest unexpected, like difference between, you know, working there? Like, wh- what are they getting right? I guess you could say that makes them the cram de la cram. Their budget. <laughs> well, that's the obvious. That's expected. Yeah, they have a way bigger budget. They I'm have, trying to get around have, the obvious. They have way more money to invest in these plays. <laughs> And yeah. people go to them because they're renowned and they've been around for a very long time. They're well-established theaters. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're union. It's all equity. Mm-hmm. So that was a big change for me was doing this production and being able to join equity because I got my contract. And I was like, all right, this was, I need to solidify myself. Like, I'm going to join equity. Mm-hmm. Um, and you're taken care of, man. You join Actors Equity Association, like it's a to- totally different ball game doing union theater compared mm-hmm. to being SAG after with TV and film. And working at CTG, everybody's great. Michael Ritchie, who's the artistic director of CTG, is a really nice guy. Um, everybody that's working on Zoot Suit, everybody who I've met through CTG, through all their departments, everybody's just great, mm-hmm. man. They all love theater and everybody's happy to be there. Everyone loves what they're doing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that since they're not they're a nonprofit organization, they've been around for so long, and they have donors, and they have all these people that give grants and invest to keep those theaters running. That um, it just helps, man. Mm-hmm. It helps. It really helps. And it's kind of not fair to, you know, like Theater Row or the Hollywood Fringe Festival or all these other LA-based theater companies that don't have those advantages you know mm-hmm. and i felt if some of these bigger theaters would reach out to say hey you're you're a theater company starting out you guys wrote this play how about do a reading for us mm-hmm. at our space you know to get to get to, to expose it to a more broader audience expose it to people who do have the power to help and invest you know and, Sounds like that. you're going to become politically active in the theater uh, <laughs> scene. I don't know about all that. But, um, <laughs> but working with CTG has definitely been a life-changing experience, bro. Yeah. And Zoot Suit has changed my life. Working with Luis Valdez has changed my life. Yeah. Um, I don't know if you know, but last year, Luis Valdez was given um, the National Medal of Art by by Obama, which is the highest achievement I think you can get in the arts. So this guy's like pretty renowned, man. He's an OG, man. He's mm-hmm. like, he's been through so many changes. He's done political theater his whole life. And um, to work with a man like that, so wise, and especially the man who wrote Zoot Suit, like, it's changed my life, man. They, Zoot Suit has changed my life forever. And I feel that this is a pinnacle point in my life now that this is this is going this is basically going to determine the type of work I'll be doing and the type of man I'm gonna, I'm going to be now man mm-hmm. 
you know, yeah. doing this play. What's um, what's the mentality like um, working on this play in terms of, you know, it's eight shows a week mm. and um, as actors, you know, we get such a heavy pressure from our representation, from the industry itself even almost. It's almost like this kind of, you know, this current that runs through it that theater is always second fiddle to film and TV. Uh, but now that you're at, you know, the creme de la creme, as you said, is, is that still the case? Um, or, you know, uh, I guess as an example, like you said, like, like, um, you're the actress playing Della, you know, is now going to be understudied for a while. Cause she booked a pilot for CW, you know, stuff like that. Like, um, you know, we got to work Yeah, we gotta and, work. We, and we got to go where we got to go. So, I mean, through the rehearsal process, was that also like that? Like, did was it like, oh, this person's not going to be here because no. at the you time know. we know that was going on, mm-hmm. not up until the play opened. Um, for me, for me, I was like, this is my break. Like, this is my break. Yeah, this is a big stepping stone for me, and I'm going to use it, and I'm not going to let anything get in the way of it of taking me out of it. Mm-hmm. I'm going to use this to showcase what I can do as an actor, invite all the people that I've developed relationships with, whether it's a writer, director, casting person, other actors, because you just I felt like you have to take advantage of an opportunity like this because these opportunities don't come around often. And a play like Zoot Suit does not get produced often like the way it is now. Yeah. So for me... The pressure now is, okay, what's next after this? Where do I go from here now? You know, like, what do <laughs> yeah, I, I haven't done with your run yet, bro. No, I know, I know. <laughs> but it's like, what do I do now? Like, how do I get, how do I use the weight and momentum of this play to get my, to get my feet more established and get better work, get chances to audition for better stuff? Mm-hmm. And um, it's helped a lot with my auditions, going to auditions and seeing the cast members that I know and mentioning, hey, I'm doing the zoot suit of the Mark Taper. And it's like, that carries weight, man. Yeah, totally. So it's like, if I'm in a, if I'm in a, if I'm in a position where I can use that, I'm going to use it. You know, not in a cocky or any t- cocky or um, narcissistic way, but in a way of like, hey, like I'm doing what I love to do. I'm one of the luckiest actors in LA right now. Like, I would love for you to come experience this. Not for me, but just the play itself. Mm-hmm. Zoot Suit, man. Like, it's a play that a lot of people have heard about, but have never seen. And you yourself have seen it. So you and everybody else who's been coming to this play can all say that they've experienced that, man. You've yeah. got to experience it. Yeah. And it's a phenomenal production. I mean, you all did a great job. Thank you, brother. Yeah, Thank in you. all the phases. And, um, you know, some of those speeches, I mean, I know we talked about this after the show, but... um so Tom McMahon, who actually is a former castmate of mine as well on Eleonora, if those of you listening out there keeping track the Blair Skinner episode, she directed Eleonora, and Tom and I were in that together. Um, he is also in Zootoot, and uh, his prosecutor speech, you know, it's just like, it's delivered so well, and it's like, you could hear a pin drop at the end of that speech. Um, and it's so relevant, you know, still going on 39 years. Still to this day. Yeah. And then there's Shearer's response to it, you know, when he caps his speech with, you know, the idea of uh, racial justice, given the political climate now, it's just, it's incredibly poignant. Yeah. And so, um, 
Yeah, no, it's a phenomenal production and incredibly relevant. It's just convenient. So. It's just it's like it's not a coincidence that this happened all 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 at the same time. What's going on? Of course, you know? <laughs> there are no coincidences. Um, <laughs> but yeah, man, yeah. doing Zoot Suit, it's just it's just an experience that I want everybody to share, man. I want everybody to see it, not just because I'm in it, but just what the play is like. Yeah. The reason why I feel like I'm one of the, I'm a very lucky person, man, in my position is because I've done two plays. I've been fortunate with all the plays I've done in LA. Like I've done pretty unique plays since yeah. I started. I did Short Eyes. I did, I did Faith, um, um, Handball, uh, Dominica, The Fat Ugly Ho, Danny the Deep Blue Sea, and now Zoot Suit. And the cool thing that I realized about Short Eyes and Zoot Suit is that Short Eyes and Zoot Suit, Short Eyes was the first Latin play to be produced on Broadway, and Zoot Suit was the second Latino play to be hmm. produced on Broadway. So the fact that I had that six degrees of separation, yeah. well, I don't know if you can call it that, but that coincidence, that connection to those two plays that like, oh shit, like these are the two first Latino plays that were produced on Broadway. From Latin playwrights, you know Miguel Pinheiro and Luis Valdez, and now I, I can say that I've done both of those plays. Yeah, like I don't think a lot of actors can say they have that kind of thing, you know, yeah. to say that they've done something like that. So for me, it's like I acknowledge that, and I'm very lucky that I get to acknowledge that. Yeah. Um, and I mean, you get to work with the writer, you know, yeah. the writer's how many, directing. How many? You right how now? many <laughs> actors get to do that in theater, man? Not yeah. a lot. If I could help out with tickets and stuff, man, I would. But the CTG is very strict on their policy, and I understand. You know, they got to make their money and all yeah. that, and I, I, I get it. And that's why we, we've extended a, th a third extension, man. That's right. Congratulations. Very, thank you. Thank you. Guys. Well, and, well, when I went, I mean, I know I told you this, but this is more for our listeners. But like, you know, my schedule is super crazy nuts, and I went to go buy my ticket ahead of time which I thought was ahead of time, but mm -hmm. it was all fucking sold yeah, out. Yeah. <laughs> I couldn't find a night. Yeah. And so I like called them up day up. I was like, are there any empty seats tonight? And he was like, I got two left, you know, top tier. Yeah. <laughs> and so I was like, I'm in. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, you guys are but, selling like gangbusters. But for a play to be extended a third time at the Mark Taper at CTG, it's very unheard of, man. It doesn't happen. Yeah. It doesn't really happen. By, it doesn't rarely ever happen. So, I think that in itself is a big deal that this play has had that much, this play has had this much success. Everybody's given great reviews about it. No one's really hated on it. And people are getting to experience Zoot Suit, man, yeah. what that is. And yeah. it's such a unique play. It's such a unique part of American culture in Los Angeles during the 1940s and that specific time period. And, it's just an honor, man, to be able to do that. Yeah. Well, know? so last question, and then I'll let you go to sleep. It's like <laughs> fucking 2 a.m. Uh, and you got a show tomorrow. But um, so with Luis, um, so you've you've been tracking this play for a while. You saw the movie. It's It's been a part of your life. Yeah, I saw the film version yeah. with, Ed, with, with Edward James Olmos. I saw the play in 2012 when they did it in San yeah. Diego. So it's been around for me. And I'm sure you've, you have you you have and you had and you know your own opinions and points of view on it and then um you know Luis he wrote you know 39 years ago you know it's had this huge long trajectory and then you two meet 
I mean, what's what was the process like for you and him working together on like, you know, I'm sure you're passionate about the play and then he's got the, you know, the time coming into it. And I, someone like him is not going to be coming into doing this performance 39 years later and be like, okay, we have to do X, Y, and Z and that's it. There's no way about it. I'm sure he's incredibly open to someone like that, you know? Yeah, he was very open about it. Like right when I got the role... We, we sat down the first two days of that those rehearsals now that I was taking over and we just talked about Henry Reyna and the play and working in the time of now instead of him working back 39 years ago, mm-hmm. you know? And I had, discussion, I had a discussion with him about, okay, like, how do I stay true to what you wrote but also make it my own, you know, being that I'm, I'm an actor from this time, you know? Yeah. Not from then, not from who you work, who you worked with back in those days, and the audience that it's going to target because the audience is not different. The world is not different. The world that Zoot Suit is the world that Zoot Suit is being presented in is completely different from back from seventy eight. Mm-hmm. So, one thing he would say was that you know we have to stay true to the text and what's written, and I agreed because a lot of people thought that he was going to modernize the text for the times, and it's like no, you you can't. It's a period piece, mm-hmm. you know, and the text is still relevant. 40 years later to, to where we're at now so we would talk about some we would talk about specific scenes and how I felt my opinion about Henry Reyna and where he's coming from and Luis would you know hear me out and then he would give me his his opinion and you know what would work better you know so we never clashed but we would cl- we would always discuss scenes and character stuff before we started work we started before we started rehearsing this stuff and keep in mind my rehearsal was cut short because this was a week before tech that i got the role so i got the role Mm -hmm. and then i only had two days in the rehearsal room and then that was it and then it was to the taper on the stage Mm -hmm. and during tech so a lot of the time was cut short that i could have had with him had things been different at the beginning of rehearsals that i didn't get to have with him yeah but i made up for it and um excuse me and he's such an old school director man he comes from a very old-fashioned way of working and he would talk about um uh, the kabuki you know the um, the kabuki theater movement and all that and for him it was more about blocking and and staging you know because it's a thrust stage Mm -hmm. at the taper so he would always talk about how you want to play, you know, make sure make sure you're playing the angles because so then everybody can see what's going on, everybody can see the story, you know? And play the diamond. On the stage there's a diamond which is an old Mayan symbol. So there's there's some old root stuff that goes into that stage, man. Even 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 the design of the stage, the diamond itself, man, is a symbol of it's an old symbol of of Mayan teaching, and Aztec and Mayan teaching. So it digs down to some roots too, you know, with with him being a Mexican American in the play itself. So we discuss about that and what the symbol meant, and how Henry Reyna is basically like like the heart of that play, you know. So the diamond is the heart, mm. right? And that's my safe spot, right? For certain things. And he would always tell me that there's a it's like a he's a he's a rage against the machine. 
and throughout the whole throughout his whole story in the play because he's always being oppressed in different ways. He's oppressed by the cops. He's oppressed by his parents. He's oppressed by, you know, even the Vatos in a certain way. And then with George and with Alice. So it's like, it's like the world's against him, you know. But I also mentioned to him too that like, I didn't want to play him always yelling and always rage and always mm -hmm. fighting, you know, because he's still a kid and he's still innocent and he's still human. So there's two scenes in the play. There's the family scene, which is the typical, he called it the typical family scene in any, in any play. There's a family scene. Yeah. And it was very much like all my sons. Yeah. Uh. <laughs> he's, he wrote that purposely for that because he said it's an homage to like the old Brechtian yeah. stuff, you know, and Luis Valdez is very much in the Bertolt Brecht and Zoot Suit has some elements of, of Brechtian stuff in it, you know, the family scene and then the sleepy lagoon scene, what I thought I told him that I felt those are the two scenes that you really get to see Henry Reyna as a kid and innocent, mm -hmm. you know, not when he's with the Vatos, not when he's putting on the machismo, not when he's the zoot suitor, you know, when he's the Hank Reyna, you know, he's Henry, mm -hmm. he's with the family and then sleepy lagoon, he's with Della, he's proposing to Della because he's going off to war the next day. So you really get to see the kid, the innocence of him, man, before all the shit spirals down and he and his life turns upside down on him. And then he starts becoming, he starts getting oppressed. He gets thrown into prison. He gets thrown into jail. Um, and then in Act Two, you see, you see where you see now of like you see a diff you see him becoming a different man now because of what he's going through. You know, being incarcerated and. Not having control. The thing about Henry Reyna is that he always has control. And the rage comes from him not having control anymore. Like when he was in the outside world, he had control over the Vatos, over his family in a way, over Della, you know. And not in bad ways, but just you saw the power, you saw like his power. And then in prison, his power is slowly being taken away from him. And the Pachuco is his alter ego. It's a manifestation of his mind. It's a manifestation of who we want, who we thinks he need who he wants to be or who he thinks he needs to be right it's that devil on your shoulder it's the inner voice always talking to you always trying to pull you down and like but the pachuco is him and i am the pachuco you know like we are we are one mm -hmm. right yeah. um and you see henry in act two I had told Luis that and I, the thing about act two it's more of the storytelling of the play because in the first act it's more about the dancing and, and the zoot suits and like the whole ballroom stuff and like that whole extravagant big larger than life type of deal of the 40s you know mm. and then you get in act two and it's more of the storytelling it's about being them being in prison and it's about you know finding yourself and not losing yourself at the same time and and I had told and Luis we had discussed that in act two in act one Henry Reyna is he's the zoot suitor he's the he's the pachuco he's a zoot suitor and act two, he's just a regular kid who just happened to be at the wrong place at the wrong time, who got fucking, you know, in racial injustice, you know? Mm -hmm. And you see him go through this journey of being oppressed and the rage against the machine type of thing. And then finally, you know, he gets out. The appeal wins. He, he gets out of prison. But then when he goes back, he realizes that nothing's changed. And that's tragic, dude. Like, nothing's changed. Mm -hmm. It's still the same. And 
what I told Luis that like I felt that at the end of the play, Henry Reyna's journey, his arc, is that he still doesn't know who he is. Or not that who he is, but he's still he's still caught between being Henry or Hank. The the, the zoot suitor. Or am I just or am I gonna be a different man now and move on with my life, mm-hmm. you know? Well even his decision to go into the Navy. Yeah. That was well, I wasn't fully convinced, you know? I wasn't fully convinced no. that that's what he wanted. No, he was conflicted by it. I don't think yeah. that's what he wanted either. It was just something that I felt that time was there yeah. for those kids in the 40s that were being drafted or who decided to enlist during World War II. That it was just something to do. Yeah. You fight for your country, be a hero, you know? And I think Henry's dream was that he just wanted to be appreciated. Not for being who he was, but for something opposite of that. Mm-hmm. And I felt that him enlisting in the Navy was something that was going to bring him that. Mm-hmm. But it gets pulled, it gets taken away from him. It's taken away. All this stuff happens. And the great thing about his brother, Rudy, at the end of Act 2, if you notice this, that Rudy is a symbol of what he could have been. You mean coming out of the Marine? Yeah. yeah. And you see, you know, and Rudy comes out in the Marine outfit and you realize that Rudy himself is not that either. He's just a kid, man. Yeah, Rudy doesn't change because then he gets no. a little... <laughs> he's still a kid too, man. Still so drinks it's, and then it's, it's, it's a tra- it's a It's got a tragic... It's, it's a bit tragic, man, yeah. with the story of Henry Reyna and what happens in Zoot Suit in the play and the fact that it is based on real events. It is based on the 1942 Sleepy Lagoon murder trial. It is based on the Zoot Suit riots that happened in 1943. And Henry Reyna is based on a real man by the name of Henry Levas, who was a pachuco, who was a Zoot Suiter, who was incarcerated for something he did not do because of him being Mexican and him being stereotyped and him being identified as a as a monster, as a gangster because of because of that subculture of mm-hmm. Los Angeles at that time. You know, yeah. of the Pachucos and all that. So for me to be able to tell the story, man, and me myself not being from California, being a Mexican American but not being from Cali, like I'm so, it's an honor, man, and I'm so lucky, and I have to give it justice every night. Every night it's always growing. Every night it's always just searching. It's always, always digging for more. What more? What more? What more? Because I'm never satisfied. I don't mm-hmm. think we ever are. But the great thing about this long run that I feel is awesome about it is that I had all this time, bro, to just discover more and more and more stuff about it mm-hmm. and make it mine, Yeah, you know? So yeah, man, that's that's Zutsu, bro. Cool. Well, again, congratulations on your extension. Thank you, folks. Go get tickets if you can. Yeah, uh, please, <laughs> please. Um, I I don't think they they can. Zutsu but... <laughs> has been extended till April second. We play Tuesday through Sunday. Two shows on Saturday. Two shows on Sunday. Matinee and evening. Um, you can hit up CTG or Google Zoot Suit CTG and any link you can find on the play, please look for it. But it's pretty much sold out. <laughs> it's pretty much done for yeah. the rest of the run. Yeah. Um, but yeah, but I want to thank my boy Andrew Fromer for <laughs> having me on the podcast and for taking the time to speak to me. No, and, yeah, um, this was great, man. I appreciate you coming on. Oh, thank and, you, bro. Uh, I, that w- it was a really great experience to watch you there and like, very proud, you know. Oh, thank you, man. Yeah, of course. Um, definitely, definitely a lot of pride, you know, seeing a a friend and a colleague up there on that on that big stage. So the Mark Tate performance. Yeah, the Mark Tate performance. <laughs> proud of you, dude. <laughs>
Yeah, so, uh, yeah, I guess the uh, last thing to do is the sign-off. All right, here it goes. Sidekickback Radio. Watcha! Yo, that was to- That was like an absolute pachuco. Like, that was a pachuco <laughs> chop. <laughs> Oof. <laughs>